Welcome back to the DFABE. My name is Zach, joined today by producer Brendan. How are you? Hello, I'm great as usual. Thank you everyone for tuning in today. Gonna lead off with I know that we just um we just had a very eventful wildcard weekend, but specifically last night and into this morning in the NBA, I wanted to start off just recapping a couple of huge scoring performances that I think kind of enlighten where many of the league's best players are right now, and then move on to Brendan and I talking a little bit about what happened over this weekend, looking ahead, and just how much Brendan loves Joe Burrow. Joe Shiesty, Joe Cool. But first and foremost, last night, Spurs Sixer, Joel B drops 72 points, setting a Sixers franchise record, and, oh, 70. Apologies, but... 133 to 123 win throughout the game. Couldn't miss. I mean, this is not an out of the blue kind of Joel performance in how efficient he was. They talked about it during the game that he's the first player to be scoring over a point per minute, scoring 35 points per game in 34 minutes. The first one since Wilt Chamberlain. And I mean, just moving beyond Embiid for a second, the dynamics between him and Maxi and the rural players is super clean. And he is in the perfect situation where I think Doc Rivers got a lot of flack, but Nick Nurse is doing an even better job highlighting Embiid's talent. I wanted to to start here just because on the other side, Wemby had a great night himself, and the spotlight that he's had on him illuminates his development and how well he's still able to play against guys like Embiid, even though defensively he cannot hold up. But... Joel had 34 in the first half and then 36 in the second. He had 59 at the end of three quarters. And players like Embiid during the regular season aren't uh, don't feel obligated to, to do things like this anymore. And so when Embiid, who is done the, uh, has done the campaigning for MVP, and I don't think has done it to the same degree this year, I appreciate the emphasis that they've put on the regular season, that Embiid has put on his 30-10 and 10 games in trying to actually play. Same thing to Maxi. I mean, going to after the game when he's talking to Brett Brown for what felt like 10 minutes and them uh, going over, it clearly looked like a, a very heartfelt reunion as Brett Brown is on the, on the Spurs bench now and was Joel's first coach. But if you don't have people with the body to get into Embiid, whether that's someone as big as him or someone lower to the ground that can get into his hips, I mean, Jeremy Sohan is not the guy for that, you're going to get destroyed. And we are living in a time where not only can Embiid do that, but Carl Anthony Towns puts up 62 in a loss to the Hornets. He sets the record for most points in the first half ever, more than Kobe. And then finishes with 62. Credit to the Hornets. I mean, I don't like getting credit to a team that houses um, questionable characters. But, like, Miller looks better than Scoot. They were nice and efficient. But this is the other side of the coin where, despite Cat's efforts and despite the dominance of a big man, they lost. And so, in a night where... Such major scoring performances happened. I also want to talk about KD putting up 43 
a win over the Bulls, I thought it was just illuminating. These were the three games that I watched the most. And what they told me were completely different things, and they defined different echelons of player at different points in their career. Embiid is smack dab in the middle of the prime, nearing 30, and performing at his absolute pinnacle, his apex, and Towns is on the way there, playing on one of the best teams in the league, and couldn't get it done. So what does that tell us? It tells us that it is the construction of the team and having a co-star that is able to support you that matters. Maxi was playing better than Anthony Edwards last night. Edwards seemed sick. They said so after before the game, and he was struggling. I don't think he scored until the second half. For the Suns, it was a lot of the same thing where, I mean, they went down big early. They were fighting their way back. They only can seem to get offense going when all three of their stars are in the game. Durant finishes with 43, dominates the fourth quarter, has multiple plays where there's one sequence where he comes off of a screen, hits a pull-up three over Vucevic, go down the other way, DeRozan misses a turnaround, they go back up, Durant hits the exact same turnaround over DeRozan. Again, it's a star-driven league, and each of these guys putting up these individually dominant performances is great. KD could only actually muster space on offense when Beal and Booker were on the floor, and when you need to scrap it out and you clearly don't trust the Josh Kogis and the Kata Bates Diops of the world, your stars are hampered. And that's why I don't know that I believe in the Bucks. I don't know that I believe in even the Nuggets some nights, but I do think that those stars can carry you on any given night. It is just the performance of their counterparts that is most paramount. And that's why I think this is a roundabout way of saying that I think that the 76ers might be the best team in the East. I only am willing to posit that because as good as the Celtics are, I don't know who they have for him. And if he's healthy and prepared in a playoff round and Maxi is able to continue scoring 26 a game against the Celtics guards, I want to put Embiid in the finals. And then on the other side, in a relatively weaker West, I think it's wide open for that exact reason. Because I think that as great as Jokic is, and Murray is back and playing well, and Porter has his good nights, a lot of nights their best role player is Peyton Watson. Aaron Gordon hasn't been the same guy this year. And then for the Timberwolves, again, it's another team that where if Ant is playing well, I think they're going to be in the Western Conference Finals against the Nuggets purely because they have two dominant offensive players and can lock in on defense, and then they have the defensive infrastructure around them. It's just a question of, do they have the support? McDaniels can't hit the broad side of a barn some nights. Mike Conley wasn't playing in this game, which is big, but it's Mike Conley. This is not you know, prime Curry or even prime Mike Conley. He should not have that size of an impact against the Hornets. Roundabout way of saying, and then we'll get to to the actual important business of the weekend, it is insanely impressive that these guys are able to do this in the middle of January and when some of their co-stars or role players are inept or not performing to their level. And I just wanted to acknowledge it. Additionally, this morning, we'll get into this more on Friday where we're going to do a lot more basketball, but as of this morning from Woj, the Heat are trading a 
2027 first and Kyle Lowry to the Hornets for Terry Rozier. Terry Rozier has been in playoff. It's it's intensely frustrating because of course the Heat did it again. This year, Rozier is having prop pretty inarguably the best season of his entire life. He's averaging 23 points, 23.2 on 45, 36, 84, and then 23, 4, and 6. And he just essentially replaces the dead calorie. Kyle Lowry flotsam that has been running out minutes for the Heat, averaging 8, 3, and 4. He's played 37 games and has played 28 minutes a game in them, his lowest since 2008. He is not valuable to them anymore in the same way that Terry Rozier will be. You can tell me all about the playoff success and the experience that Kyle Lowry has had, but... At the end of the day, you're getting an upgrade of 15 points a game on similar efficiency and much larger volume. And God damn it, the Heat did it again. Along with Hawkins, along with Adebayo probably having his best season and Butler getting back into form after missing part of the year already, they're going to frustrate me for the rest of the season and I'll get into it more later this week, but I'm starting to believe them to be a top three team in the East in a way that is not surprising like it was last year. Anyway, we'll be back in just a moment, get into the wildcard weekend, and look ahead to the conference championship games. Coming back, game of the weekend and the most disappointing of at least one team's recent history. To start off, I mean, tell me if you disagree with this. I, we kind of talked about it a little bit before we started today. I I do sincerely believe that Mahomes and Allen has become like the Montana Elway or the Brady Manning of our current generation. And I'd say in terms of talent, Allen is even more like the, uh, like the Dan Marinos in that situation, but... He and Montana only played once in the playoff, and Marino didn't have any playoff success. But I only bring up Marino's name because we're, what, six years into Allen's career? His extension, the big money that's about to weigh down his team's salary cap is about to come in next year. And we are at risk of having him become, like, the Prometheus that helped bring in the modern age of football, but now he's punished by never actually getting to the big game. Yeah, I mean... Maybe he's cursed. Maybe uh, we have to have that conversation about him. I mean, I don't really like what I'm seeing from his uh, his core of weapons. Like, I mean, really the the one that stood out to me the most in the you know nearing the end of the season was really James Cook, which is crazy to say because I don't like what I've been seeing from Stephon Diggs. I really. <sighs> might have to say that he's in the twilight of his career, which is maybe a hot take. I, I don't even know if he's a one anymore, but no Gabe he, Davis in the last game. And I mean, like, Kair, uh Shakir. Khalil Shakir. Khalil Shakir. Not Kair Elam. <laughs> Sorry, I got the two mixed up. But, like, man, I mean, I do like what I've been seeing from him, but, like, he's maybe a, a two. Um, and then... Man, Trent Sherfield, he doesn't really have much to work with is what I'm saying here. And 
I don't know. I, I feel like he still had a, a decent game. He pretty much kept the ball out of harm's way. Didn't throw any picks. But, yeah, no. I, I think that it is definitely the next Brady, uh, Brady man and kind of dynamic here with the sense that they play so often and it always seems like one has to get through another to make it to the big game. Do you know how many yards Stephon Diggs had in this game? Uh, 21 off the top of my head. Yep. yep. Three for eight for 21 yards. On eight targets, including one on that final drive where we will get to the now infamous kick, but he had a 50-plus yard bomb go straight through his hands. Yeah, it looked like he really misjudged that one. I mean, can't ask for more. And then coming into this, I, I was frankly wrong because I viewed it as whatever team has their their best receiver play the best is going to win. And I thought of that as Rice, but Rice wasn't amazing. He didn't have as many uh, drop or misjudgment or just disconnection issues as Diggs had, though. And that might have been everything. And then Travis Kelsey gave them two and a half great quarters, scored two touchdowns, and inspired his brother to do remarkable things. But it came down to... It feels like a curse. Like, Khalil Shakir is somehow your best receiver in this game. I mean, Dalton Kincaid came up with some big first downs and was pivotal on the final drive. And to your point before, James Cook has at times even been a better receiver than Diggs had the same amount of receiving yards in this game. But I wanted to take us through Bill's history back to the original wide right because... It has become a real case study in what, if you believe in curses, a sports curse looks like. Because the original wide right happened in 1991, where Bills lost to the Giants 20-19 to in Super Bowl 25. The, the kicker, Scott Norwood, misses wide right with eight seconds to go. There were players hand-in-hand on, hand hand on the sideline. I did look up the clip just for the sake of posterity. And Norwood has lived in infamy for now 30 plus years. As of 2010, I looked it up. Norwood was selling real estate and insurance. I believe that Tyler Bass will be applying soon. Moving on to the next year of four straight Super Bowl losses in 20 Super Bowl 26, 1992, they lose 37 to 24 to the then Redskins. They lose 52 to 17 to the Cowboys and then 30 to 13 in the Cowboys. And then I think... It doesn't even seem real. It doesn't seem possible to lose that many times in the championship game in a row, but again, that is just generational trauma that the Bills live with. And then people forget, from 95 to 20 against the Colts, the Bills didn't win a playoff game. And then they also had gone from 1999 to 2017 without making it at all. So going back the last few years, the 2020 playoffs... The 2021 season, they lose in the conference championship to the Chiefs, 38 to 24. In 2021 playoffs, they lose in the divisional round to the Chiefs, 42 to 36. That's the 13-second game. That game causes them to actually fundamentally change the overtime rules. 22 playoffs, they lose in the divisional round to the Bengals, 27 to 10, with an Allen who I think most people thought was hurt for at least the second half of the season. And then this year. They lose the in the divisional round again to the Chiefs, 27-24 in Buffalo. 
with Wide Right the Redux. I did think that Wide Right Tyler's version was really funny as a headline, but I ask, what reason do we have the, to believe that the Bills have a better chance to get back here, barring even worse Chiefs roster building? I mean, yeah, no. They have to they have to make some big plays, and I think one of those has got to be getting rid of, of Diggs, cutting some weight there. But then is your number one, what, Dalton Kincaid and Khalil Shakir? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, to the point that you just made, who are they going to go out and get? Because now Allen's cap hit is going to go up to about $43 million next year. His yeah. extension got signed, and up until now, it's been in that, like, 13, 15. Now, I think this year was, like, 18.2. And Dear I, God. Please tell me he doesn't have to deal with, like, the 2019 through 2022 Lamar Jackson weapon situation. I he's wouldn't wish throwing, that upon my worst enemy. I think that Devin DuVernay is the number two on this team. <laughs> No really, disrespect really to Trent Sherfield, but like they have to get really good at drafting or they need to get. I think Joe Brady actually did a really good job down the stretch. I mean, they won five games in a row and then did put up 24 points against the Chiefs defense that besides the last few drives, they kind of diced up. And Allen, again, had a perfect throw to beat them, but Diggs dropped it. The, Marvin the Harrison fall. Jr. Dark dark Horse candidate team? What the hell are they going to give up to get him, though? Stephon Diggs. <laughs> After Khalil Shakir was better than him for, like, three months. Nobody wants Stephon. Think about it, though. Like, if you're, if you're the Cardinals and the quarterbacks go one, two, three, and you're sitting there at four, and Marvin Harrison Jr.'s in your lap, and you get a call from the Bills, and it says, we'll give you our first and Stephon Diggs. You're probably saying no. I'm saying no. Exactly. So, I mean, looking at the rest of the AFC, I know that we were making fun of it, but Burrow is healthy next year, as much as Bengal fans would like to insert themselves into the uh, this-is-Brady-Manning argument by saying no! Such losers. It's like... Dude, I I hate their fan base. They kept whining about like they they just want to be involved in everything. It's like you guys did not even make the playoffs. And man, I still have the receipts from when they were making fun of the Ravens when Lamar was out. It's like coulda shoulda woulda. Who said that? It was Tyler Boyd. Yeah, shut up. He's not even gonna be on the team next year. I don't remember who said it, but it sticks in my mind that there was some interview where. Players anonymously uh, said who that they thought that people viewed as a pro bowler. And this was back in like 20. This was when uh, this was the year that Burrow tore his ACL was back then. And every a player that they thought was overrated and that the media thought as like a pro bowler, but actually isn't. And I think three people said Tyler Boyd. (laughs) Tyler Boyd. So, So I think he might just have a complex. He'll be the number two next year when T. Higgins is on the Bills. No, that's no, no, actually no. that's actually a good one. I don't know how they would make that money work, but I think someone like T. Higgins. I uh, think I think Boyd is a contract year too. I don't think he's going to be on the team either. No, same point then. I Any, don't think he's going to be on a team. <laughs> he'll be on a team. He'll be on your <laughs> shitty team. No, uh, they could use, absolutely not. 
he wants to join a contender. Uh, Burrow is healthy, Herbert is healthy, and maybe getting Jim Harbaugh. And then there are other wild cards where Stroud is going to continue ascending, and then you still have Trevor Lawrence, Anthony Richardson is going to be back, and on a Colts team that's almost made the playoffs without him. You have the Dolphins, who I've seen it floated that you know McCarthy is staying, but they're not extending him. And then Dak is also on the last year of his deal. So let's say, let's string this out for the next two years. I saw it floated that Dak on the Dolphins would be pretty crazy. On the Dolphins? Yeah. Why, why was that a theory? Because him and McCarthy are both in the last year of their deals. Neither of them have gotten an extension. McCarthy's not getting an extension. And right now Dak has not signed one. If he does, that goes away. But I'm saying that the Dolphins have the infrastructure and Mike McDaniel. So let's say that as we have our qualms about Tua, but if they get someone that can run it to, like, I know people are obsessed with McDaniel getting his Stafford in the same way that McVay did. But I feel like Tua kind of is his Stafford, but he needs his, like, Allen or Burrow. So if they, in absence of that, they need a vet. And that is, like, the Cousins. Or if you're willing to extrapolate this out over a few years, your Dax. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't really love Tua when it comes to, like, giving me a chance, it, it, hypothetically, for the big game, but how much of an upgrade is Dak? I mean, it's literally... Over Tua? Just, like, it's, I like, the sig- same I think kind pretty of significant. He's it, just, like, a game manager. No. I mean, I I know it because I make so much fun of his uh, his cadence at the line, because that he actually is doing things. Yeah, here, here we, we go. go. And then he, I think he makes a lot of adjustments, and I think that he actually works against Mike McCarthy in a lot of ways to that respect. I think about it, McCarthy's always worked with quarterbacks like that. I think, in Mike, McCarthy, I think Mike McCarthy works against Mike McCarthy. This is true. <laughs> My point being, they have a lot of competition, and it's not getting weaker, especially as guys like, Stroud are only going to get better and have better support and guys like Herbert are getting support that they should have always had so as much as I don't want to believe that digs can be done this early and I have to believe that Allen is going to get his Peyton Manning Colts versus Saints ring at some point this happens I mean Mahomes Mahomes was only 17 for 23 215 and two touchdowns both to Kelsey but he never made a critical mistake. He and Pacheco both were able to extend drives with their legs. Pacheco 15 for 97 in a touchdown, plus the essentially game-winning run when he picked up eight yards on the on the final drive after Tyler Bass missed. Like, if Hardman doesn't fumble out of the end zone, this win is a more comfortable margin. And I think, honestly, if even if Bass makes it, I think that Mahomes comes down and wins. It speaks to it speaks to the like inevitability, the pressure that you're under facing him and what he's going to do to the AFC for the next 10 years. It's what Brady did. And so it sucks to say, but like even for NFC teams going up against the Chiefs when they make the Super Bowl, like think about it for Brady. Drew Brees got one ring. Peyton Manning was in the same conference as him and got two. And the second one was questionable. Ben got two before Brady and Belichick really hit their stride, in my opinion. Mm. 
guys like this just kind of get tossed to the wayside. Hurts might never win a ring because if he goes up to the Chiefs every time, you're never going to pick him. Yeah, I mean, I don't even like Jalen Hurts to begin with. I, mean, I know. I think he should be in that conversation. But <laughs> Okay, then Burrow. Shiesty. I think he'll get a ring. I I like Joe that, Burrow. You say that, but he's not going to get as many as Mahomes. Well, yeah. We no. know that. We know that. So it's just you're just waiting and biding your time until a season where the ball rolls your way. And if you're the Bills, and as we just went through, have that – lengthy history of disappointment that really sucks to hear to be told that look as great as you guys are he's better and so you're just gonna have to wait until you get lucky and it's been three times in a row that they haven't and in all honesty i wouldn't have picked them against the ravens anyhow yeah speaking of the raven okay we disagreed about this but i considered this the only quote-unquote bad game of the weekend but to be fair, it was only like half of a bad game. Hmm. Yeah, no, I was kind of biting my tongue for the first half. I mean, I, I kind of see like special teams. Such, this is an unpopular opinion, but I see them as kind of a fluke. I think the game is really going to be decided about, like, determined by uh, how the offense moves the ball on the defense. And to see them return a, a punt return for a touchdown kind of created a deceiving score. So I thought the, the Ravens played a better first half in a lot of regards they but did yeah no it started getting out of hand when they were finding a, a few exploits like Derek Stingley was getting exposed a little bit he uh, got a touchdown tossed over him mm-hmm. when Lamar had uh, gave gave Isaiah likely a chance to absolutely put him on a poster is he how much like how much better is Andrews than likely because it doesn't feel like a lot yeah no it's it's Admittedly, uh, I mean, like Greg Roman's scheme was really tight end friendly. Lamar's just kind of a a tight end friendly kind of quarterback, and he he loves going to those guys. So is Mahomes. That's not an insult. Yeah, yeah no. Uh, but I mean, Likely is really talented, so I don't want to discredit Andrews in, in any any regard. But I I really like Isaiah Likely. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> but yeah, no. I think that they're closer than people might have thought i mean way closer than people would have thought at the beginning of the year my bad for implying that this was um was a potential upset because even 10 10 i didn't really think it was going to be and to your point i generally agree i just think that if you're if you're looking at every football game as an individual experiment then special teams is the most highly variable factor that you can control so yeah, no, they think say about, it, and they say it could decide games and it can, but it's like close games. I don't think exactly. that it should be so in in situations where you're trying to find things on the margins that can separate it. Think about all the games that even when the Patriots have sucked, that they've won on long returns and field goals. Same thing. Look at look at the game we just talked about. It just increases variance where if you miss field goals or if you allow big returns like the tech like the ravens did then scores can become deceiving or something they shouldn't be yeah I, like if they don't get that return there's every chance that the texans don't score in this game yeah i mean i feel like special teams just like having a really good unit 
kind of removes the the variability in a game in a lot of aspects. It's like and it, it what makes- should happen, what you feel like should happen for you, like making a gimme kick, uh, having like a decent return is is like when you get to remove that variability, it helps your team out a lot. And more more so like like how back much, on the point that I said. And think about how much having Justin Tucker has made Lamar and the Ravens more confident. Exactly. It's like it removes like the variability, like the <laughs> RNG, if you will. Absolutely. <laughs> out of the game. And that's that's where it really helps. And when I going back to my point where I said it like people consider special teams to be a game deciding factor, it's like mainly when you're when you're thinking about your own team, it's a deciding factor in a in a negative regard. If that makes any sense, it's like you you want to make sure that it's not bad special teams. Correct. You know? Right. You don't want to rely on your special teams to win you games. You want it to prevent the other team from winning the game against you. Take out their uh, special teams mishap in this game. I think the Ravens are the best team left in the field, and I think it's largely because of their defense. And I think that's something that you would agree with because Lamar was really was great, especially in the second half, 150 and two touchdowns passing and then 102 touchdowns rushing and looked every bit as dominant as he did in the regular season. But despite having zero sacks, which I think speaks just a lot more to Stroud, the Ravens had 22 hurries and five hits on him. And that's more important to actually winning credit to, uh, to Stroud for surviving and getting the ball out. But He's going up against four all pros in Roquan, Kyle Hamilton, which, um, yeah, that was a good pick. My bad for... Uh, I saw... This is a tangent. Uh, I for, Man, I'm going to I'm gonna have to go on a, a small tangent here, and I, I don't know if I, if I want to name drop completely, but this morning I viewed a video. It was regrading 2022 draft picks. I mean... It was kind of a a lackluster class, especially for offense. But Kyle Hamilton was a member of that draft class. And I heard it was TPS who graded this C plus for Kyle Hamilton in 2024. Absolutely, absolutely (laughs) crazy. He's a first team all pro. It's like, what do you what more do you want from that? It's just ridiculousness. Man. He's an all pro. I don't know if they recorded that video in 2023 and posted it. Don't care. It got uploaded in 2024, and that that's it's it's horrible. He's the best look. safety in the NFL. <laughs> that's the jersey I was wearing when they won this game. Kyle Sorry. Hamilton. It was man, great purchase by the way. But yeah, absolutely love what I see from this team. Uh, you've got like crazy, crazy people stepping up like. Kyle, Kyle Van Noy in 2024, fucking really good pass rusher. I mean him, and then like outside of the, out of the All Pros, and they're drawing up goddamn blitzes with Arthur Millette, you know, dude. causing ruckus. It's crazy, man. I love this team. It's great. Uh, what do you call it when the offense and defense works together perfectly? Synergy. It's it's, it's great football synergy on what, both sides of the ball. Like take, I mean, and we haven't even said guys like. Clowney, who have had who has had a resurgent year, Patrick Queen, also an all pro, and has been had his career saved by Roquan. Justin Matabuke, which who has been outstanding and had like a feat an entire feature in the athletic because of how damn good he's been this year. 
I'd give that man a blank check if I was the Ravens. He's going to get it, and he's young enough to deserve it. Like, Adafe Owe, another name we haven't even said yet, but he is young and, like, will wreck a couple possessions. And I think they have a better defense than the Niners, and I think even the Chiefs' offense is going to struggle against them. They didn't even have Humphrey. Mm. Like, uh, for the Texans, it's harder to win against someone who's not Joe Flacco. Um, and like I said, I don't know that they win this game without that punt return, or I don't know if they score a point this game without that punt return next year. I think they're going to be a very justifiable pick for the AFC South. Mm -hmm. I just think that they need to add receivers for Shroud. And I think that they need to shore up the linebacking core and get some depth in the secondary. Like your point said, Derek Stingley was, I thought good this year, but he got abused this game. Yeah, he was getting exploited. They were targeting they were targeting him a lot in the second half. Where do you think Stroud finishes at the end of this year in the overall QB echelon? I mean, are, because are we I, considering you, future? Or I, just... I'm saying at the end of this year. Okay. Um, I really like what I saw from him. So uh, with, with all the injuries, I think he would maybe be top five for this year. I, I put him sixth. Yeah, because there there's just like I mean no Herbert. Oh, well, there's some Herbert. He got hurt on the tail end, but uh pretty much no Burrow. Uh in terms of in terms of quarterbacks that I would put like if healthy in a game right now, I said Mahomes, Allen, Lamar, Burrow, and then Herbert and then Stroud. Mm -hmm. Simply because Herbert's done it. This is Stroud's first year. I sincerely think and I'll, I'll ask you the same question. We're looking at this at the end of next year. It's probably Mahomes, Lamar, Allen, and then is there a chance at Stroud above Burrow, above Herbert, above? I mean, I know you can discredit it, but like the Hurts, man, it's to it, uh, Dak. Oh but, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, like I really like what I've seen to do what he did in his rookie year with with the Texans is kind of crazy. And I mean, like, I feel like D'Amico Ryans deserves some credit as well. As of course a great, he does. As a great coach. But I mean, that being said, even that wouldn't pull you to a, a favorable position as a, as a rookie quarterback in that situation. Like, let's be honest. He was handed very little as a rookie and he made a playoff team and even secured he a playoff win. He lost his best receiver. Yeah, he, what he did was was beyond crazy, and I'm extremely impressed by him. And that's coming from somebody who predicted for him to be a bust. I'm <laughs> I'm not gonna lie; I thought he was gonna be a bust. Uh, biggest loser from this season: the S two test. Yeah, no, that's for, th for I calling was so CJ convinced. Stroud a dumbass. I was so convinced that like because he failed that test, I was like, he's gonna be a bust. I think there were a lot of people that actually put some credit into it, and I feel dumb for even like yeah, no. carrying in the slice because I I thought that it would have been justifiable to take him one because like I don't know, I watch what I can, but in the biggest game of his college career, he was awesome against Georgia and he's performed that way against NFL defenses. Do you want to hear before we uh, take a break and then talk about the, the rest of the games this past weekend and some predictions. These are the players that caught a pass in this Houston game. Devin Singletary mm -hmm. washed out Buffalo receiver. Uh, Nico Collins. Good. Yeah. Dalton Schultz. Fine. 
like like Nico Collins, by the way. Dari Ogum, I know how to say his name. Dare Ogum, Ogum Bawale. I'm sorry, very sorry, very sorry. Uh, Xavier Hutchinson, and then the immortal Robert Woods, who had a lovely one reception for six yards. I did remember seeing him. He was there. He was there. He he was there in attendance at the game. We'll be right back, and then we're gonna run through Tampa, Detroit. Green Bay, San Francisco, and then look ahead to the conference championship games. Awesome. NFC action. And we're back. Tampa, 23, Detroit, 31. Detroit has earned everything to this point and I think silenced any doubts about their viability as both a playoff team and just a general winner. For the most part, we will factor in opponents here, but... Campbell has quieted at least my concerns about his in-game temperament in both of these games. I, I keep thinking back to the Cowboys game where he continued to try to go for two, even though they were backed up to the seven. I still, to this day, don't know why they did that. It's like, because they were mad. But Sometimes there's like a rationale to go for two at the end of the game. Like If your players get hurt throughout and you don't have like the same chance you did going into the game... But they were playing well. Yeah, no, they, it's like they had decent momentum. I don't know why you would insist on going for two at that point. I think your main concern is that I think validly that if the Cowboys win the coin toss, you're probably going to lose. But mm. anyway, Goff didn't have any of his his goofs. And I think Gibbs, that touchdown run where he beat Winfield on the angle and scored like I think that alone justified being a first-round pick, but he is clearly their most explosive offensive weapon, if not their most valuable. And look, the Lions' defense is still really bad. Detroit actually got outgained, 408 to 391, but they got bailed out by a lucky tip in the first quarter for an interception, and then a classic Baker pick to end it. Shout-out to Derek Barnes, boiler up. Yeah, man, I was talking to my friends uh on the mic in PlayStation when we were watching that game. And my friend was like, how funny would it be if Baker Baker Mayfield threw a pick on the last drive to end it? Again, like as good as Baker has been this year and as much as I think that he probably deserves whatever contract he's going to get this offseason, be it from the Bucks or someone else, it it's still in him. And as much as this is touted or can be touted as a clash of former revitalized number one picks it's still baker mayfield and jared goff they still weren't like mahomes and allen albeit they did put up bigger stats outside of a dropped interception in the first goff was 30 for 43 287 and two touchdowns and did absolutely everything required got his name chanted and it's a real question to me if he's the best quarterback in the nfc championship game despite his limitations Mm. i mean you know what I would say to that, I think. I don't, actually. <laughs> I think golf by a landslide. Okay. His yards per attempt was 6.7 in this game, but I think some of that comes down to the credit he deserves that his team trusts him to for- throw 43 times in a game. I thought every Amon Ra and Sam Laporta catch was a key first down, and they each had five, but I would have believed you if you told me like 50. And then Frank Ragnall is a goddamn monster for getting tied up in what was a really nasty uh, 
nasty pile up and clearly something happened to his legs but he played through what was revealed to be a sprained knee and ankle during this game he was blocking 340 pound Vita Vea over and over again and then on a fourth down touchdown that put them up he held up so that Cam Rounds could score and I think he's just like a microcosm of how much this is a team of just janissaries that is willing to put their body and lives on the line for the team. I think Ragnow himself is specific to that cause as a guy who has said himself after being such a good player for so many years on those shitty teams, he is just so happy to be winning. And I think he is so happy to be winning for these fans who are cacophonous. Mm. He's had a, a really tough going. I mean, he's dealt with a lot of injuries that have put him out of the game and has always been on Detroit for his whole career. So a good player like that, I, I think it, it shouldn't even be a surprise that he is willing to put it out on the line like that. I think this defense is going to define the game against the 49ers. We'll talk about it a bit more, but um, I watched this with, with, my, uh, with my girlfriend, and uh, who is from Michigan. Um, does not know much, but understood how dog shit Cam Sutton is. Oh, uh, I made a point of that in the last podcast we did. Yes. And uh, that take is aging like fine wine. It was... Cam Sutton was targeted 10 times. One was a 23-yard first down completion to Trey Palmer. Six of the other nine were Mike Evans absolutely bean-topping him for 124 yards and a touchdown. Evans finished with eight for 147, so roughly 85% of his yards were on Cam Sutton. I remember distinctly there was, um, it, it was actually really funny, kind of good defensive play calling that they had Evans out wide to the left on a third down one-on-one against Sutton, and Baker did not even think about it, three steps, and then just lobbed it up knowing he was there, and they had, uh, they had the safety just booking it towards the sideline because they know Sutton couldn't do it by himself, <laughs> but he got like verbally and physically abused. And then, I mean, Mayfield had 347 yards still and three touchdowns outside of his interceptions. Again, I think that some of the Buccaneers' passing yards are inflated by the fact that their rushing game, despite getting better, is still the worst in the NFL by yardage per game. And it was a point made on the broadcast, still talking about the Lions' defense, that I believe three of the five sacks that the Lions got were just because an unblocked rusher got home and Rashad White didn't pick up and pass pro, which, I mean, good for you. But I don't really consider that a um, a benefit, a, uh, a mark towards your defense when in reality that's just a running back fucking up. Uh, do you think that Baker should get a Geno contract? Geno. Ah. Remind me what what his contract looked like. Let me confirm. Because I only ask because, look, it, it's kind of the same story where it's a guy that's been, I mean, they wrote me off, I didn't write back, all that <laughs> shit. But he was way more impressive than, I don't even want to, I don't want to say he was more impressive than Gino. I just think that he did more 
to uh to undo what has happened to his career than Gino had to where Gino just got lucky that Russ got traded and then they didn't have a backup plan other than Drew Locke whereas Baker like he was just a dead asset like a dead tooth asking to be pulled he went to the Rams and won one game and so I think that might have just got him a contract and then he clearly beat out Kyle Trask to um to justify starting for the entire season another hot take uh i think he might be the worst quarterback in the nfl gino no no kyle trask oh <laughs> uh that's trubisky but i don't know how he has a job he's kyle never... trask is terrible dude i don't think that he's been able to prove that he's terrible which is probably to his benefit uh gino smart gino smith signed a three-year deal worth 75 million and only 40 million guaranteed I mean, yeah, no, I think quarterbacks in, in this league are really hard to come, back, come by nowadays. And uh, I think that Baker has shown enough to wor- garner that contract. Imagine what the Falcons would have given just to have Baker this year instead of Desmond Ritter. Yeah, no, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's like somebody like Baker can can propel that offense to a, a big game, and he he's proved it, so... I think he's going to get something similar, and I think he probably deserves it. And then Mike Evans finishes the year with 1,255 yards and 13 touchdowns, tying for the league lead at 30 years old. If you're well, if you're Mike Evans, do you feel empowered to stay? And if you're the Bucks, like, what lengths are you willing to go to to keep Mike Evans? Because he's clearly still got it after raising questions last year where – he didn't get over a thousand until the last game because he's got his stats padded. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that we thought he was going to get traded to the Jets at the beginning of the year or something like that. Where at, he yeah, at this point out. in a man's career, I feel like you got a bag chase a little bit. Maybe. Well, he doesn't need the ring chase or anything. The Bucks are going to pay him if if they want to. Yeah, I think the Bucks need to pay him for sure. I think that Godwin is still good, but perpetually hurt. Despite um, despite being relatively healthy this year, I think they need to keep together as much of that defense as possible. I do think there was much made about how how quote unquote good some of their uh, some of their young defensive players were, and a lot of them got hurt in this game. But Antoine Winfield is awesome, and should have been more heavily accoladed in the offseason. Levante David, I would argue, is a Hall of Famer. And still playing well, especially for his age. KJ Britt took Devin White's job. And then, like you still, Elijah Kansi came on and became more of a pass rusher as the year went on. Vita Vea is still really good. They had Yaya Diaby, another rookie. Another Played great name. Outstanding name against Vita Vea and Elijah Kansi. All-time offensive line names. Uh, I mean, Joe Tran, Shavinka, didn't develop as much as you want, but that's still a good young player. You still do have Devin White in the wings, even though he only played 14 snaps this game. Keep as much of this defense together, keep the offense together, and try and add, and I see no reason that they're not going to win the NFC South. Again, it's just, are you content with that? Yeah. I mean, it's just going to be the pieces that are going to propel you to beat the rest of the NFC. I mean, the 49ers, the the Lions to all those teams. So I think it's got to start with uh, bolstering that line on defense and offense. 
Uh, they already have some great pieces on both. I mean, you got Tristan Wirfs and you've got Vita Vea, and I think you just continue to build around those. I mean, at the guard position, kind of a little bit shaky on offense. I mean, mm. they have Cody Mock, who didn't really pan out like I think that they wanted to or expected him to. So I think maybe a free agent acquisition or a draft pick. I think guard is important. Luke Gadecki, good. Um, speaking of their other guard spot, Aaron Stinney, good. So it might it might even just come down to getting a really good running back at the end mm. of the day. Because yeah, I know. That run game has really been been lacking, which is why I think Baker deserves some more credit than maybe he's gotten because, you know, he does have good weapons in, in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. The Don't get game, me wrong. The running game is awful. But to have a great running game behind you, I mean, look at what Daniel Jones got contract-wise because of, of his running game carrying him it's it's like it could do amazing things for a quarterback and being deprived of that i think that you deserve some credit for having success regardless derrick henry derrick Henry. Ooh, that's an interesting process to the bucks i think it's a i think it's a good fit honestly they already they can keep white as a pass catcher and then hey i think they got saquon uh who i just unintentionally mentioned they could, I mean, Saquon is also out there considering he got franchise tag, but yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Baby hands, Brock, uh, 23 for 39, 252 and a touchdown. Puny penis purdy. Oh boy. In all, in all sincerity, I think this confirms a lot of the eye test concerns for Purdy's physical limitations. McCaffrey disagreement here if you want to, but McCaffrey is the best offensive weapon outside of Lamar left in the playoff field. Mm, yeah, no, I mean, I probably wouldn't disagree with that. He's a machine. So I, 98 hate, I hate watching him play knowing that the Ravens might play him in the Super Bowl. He's really annoying. And I, I hated watching him play against the Ravens. He still had a good game regardless of the fact that they kind of blew him out. But He hasn't had a bad game this year, just other than the one where he hurt his calf. Yeah, man. He's he's hard to, to play against. I don't know if there's any way you could game plan against something like that. The rest of their crew is also good enough just to win games like this. But like Purdy was six and a half yards per attempt, fifty nine yard, fifty nine percent completion percentage. I think Debo needs to play next week or it gets dicey. Mm. I think that Shile uh, Shile Canahan Kyle Shanahan he might as well be <laughs> Shile for his shit clock management. End of the second half, look at even look at Todd Bowles. The Bucks go down and score a touchdown to tie the game at 10-10 going into the half because they realized they could get chunk yardage in the two-minute drill, and they did, and they let their best players cook, and they scored a touchdown, and that brought it to 10-10. And if they had gone down there, they don't like tr- Jake Moody. They don't trust him. So why are you burning clock to get up there when you have clearly three of like the 10 best offensive players in football you know now that you bring up bowls and and time management i thought of an interesting tangent that i saw going like fluctuating around the media did you happen to notice that the lions need the ball with 37 seconds left and the buccaneers still had a timeout and they could have theoretically had like 30 seconds and no timeouts to go get a field goal did you happen to notice that no there's there is a screenshot out there and i 
would advise anybody uh, listening well, they, and they, you to go check it out. But it's it's interesting to think of because like teams will just like you know sense the other teams defeated and just lose sight of stuff like that. But in the playoffs, you gotta think that you gotta stay on that and and pay attention because you, you could take that time out and just you know get your thirty second drive. When this this was at the end of the game, they were taking their knee downs after there was know. they. I mean, I don't think that's true. It's true. It's true. You could look it up. I'm serious. It's like they thought the game was over, so they didn't, you know, run the clock down to however many seconds, 40 seconds every single time they took the snaps. But, you know, it was one of those situations where, you know, they had the ability to run the timeout. So they probably had players on the field, like, ready to go shake hands, all that business. But they had a, okay, they had a minute 33. I'm done talking about this after I, I say this, but they had a minute 33 left after the interception and the Bucks had one timeout. So let's say they kneel and then timeout. That's one, two, that's like 20 seconds. Yeah, no, but they didn't, they didn't take the timeout. They, left it in their back pocket so the lions kept taking the knees and then they just never used it but they could have and stopped stopped the clock on fourth down i think that might be right but okay i don't care <laughs> we do not care it's in, over in the context it happened. in the context of the middle of the 49ers game it was kyle shanahan trying to burn as much clock as possible without actually trying to score where and i know I think Todd Bowles has uh, developed over the years, ever since the Jets even. But like, when your clock management is getting compared to a guy who's seventeen and seventeen over the last two seasons, and you are supposed to be the Super Bowl winner, that's not great. Um, I also don't. I mean, again, tell me if you disagree. I don't think he has consummate faith in Brock. I think that as much as the jokes aside, I think that them not airing it out or just trying to score in situations like that is in large part due to a lack of faith. I don't think that necessarily Purdy can't do it, and I think that a lot of the statistics and their record this year will prove that Purdy can, in fact, do enough in those situations to get them in a position to score. I just think that now that we're in the playoffs, it seems like Shanahan does not trust him as much. Well, I mean, it's not even like a, a secret necessarily. It's just how they comprise their offense. It's how he wanted it to be done. I mean, look at the the pay grade for all the positions and then, you know, Purdy. It's, it's how the offense is composed. So, I mean, obviously, I think that it's, it's not a surprise that plays are, you know, composed in the same manner where it's like you want to prevent – Purdy from having to do too much because he's just, you know, he's there. And I think that he does like deserve credit for this kind of revolution towards not having to overpay a quarterback. And, you know, with all the success that his team has garnered, but it's more luck than like an offensive revolution. uh, I mean, it is a really interesting way of doing things. Cause I mean, he tried to get Trey Lance. It's not like he didn't want the elite (laughs) athletic quarterback. He just, didn't get it and then happened to draft another one. Yeah. Maybe I'm just meat riding. My bad. <laughs> but like I Probably. just I 
my point is I'm just trying to give flowers to Shanahan because he is a great coach. And, you know, regardless of the fact that he missed, or I don't know if it was really his decision, but the front office missed on the Trey Lance pick. He he was still able to make do and, you know, make things work with Brock. Yeah. San Francisco had zero sacks, but six hits, 16 hurries. I... They they let Love and the Packers hang around. Love had two picks and less passing yards than Purdy. But, I mean, that last pick was just a young guy throwing the rain. They had, like, about six yards per attempt and six yards average depth of target. They weren't airing it out much. Again, weather plays a factor in that. And I don't think they should have won with what mistakes that they had. But the fact that they could have been in overtime with a field goal kind of speaks to this team's future. List of Packers receivers who caught a pass in this game. Manuel Wilson, Luke Musgrave, Romeo Dubs, Bo Melton, who caught a touchdown. Bo Melton. Bo Melton, Christian Watson, Ben Sims, Jaden Reed, Tucker Craft, Aaron Jones, and Dontavian Wicks. And I believe only Aaron Jones isn't on a rookie deal. Some of those players are rookies. And then I think all the rest are either in the second and third year of their contract. Yeah, man. I mean, I if I'm a Packers fan, I can't really be too mad about this loss. I I kind of you can be you can be upset in like the confines of this game that you could have won, but I think ultimately, like that pick at the end is just karmic balance because the 49ers are better than you. I mean, like it's it's another situation like I was kind of detailing with uh, C.J. Stroud where it's like. Jordan Love was kind of handed a situation where it's like, how the hell are you going to make do with this? And he did. So I think his weapons are only going to get better. I mean, the players he already has are going to get better, and they have available cap room to, you know, maybe get a veteran in the room and, and increase them, develop them even better. But, yeah, no, I'm. it's crazy what they did with this core and the fact that they're just going to improve from here. <sighs> I mean, they're going to be one of the sexy picks this uh, coming year. Yeah. Kind of like the Lions this year. I feel like they're going to be like that. They, they just are the, the Texans of the NFC. Fire Joe Brady. And I agree. <laughs> I feel like it's just the same conversation. Like I'm, I'm saying the same things about the Packers as I am. The, Not Joe the Brady. Texans. Uh, yeah. Joe Brady. Not Joe Brady. Fucking. Um, they're def- Joe, Joe Barry. Oh, Joe yeah. Brady, co- which is offense for the Bills. Yeah, no, you're are you thinking of the guy who just got hired for head coach at the the Titans? No, that's Brian Callahan. <laughs> wow. Way off. <laughs> Way off. Uh okay. San Francisco had only a, didn't ah, they got to they got to Jordan Love. And they did rush him and it did make a difference. I think that this Lions O line is better, and that might be a problem, especially because I assume Frank Ragnall is going to play. If he played last week, he's going to play this week. And then they were also lost Jonah Jackson during the game, a pro bowler. So if they have him back, that's a big deal. In that vein, let's just move on to the championship round. Detroit's at San Francisco. San Francisco is favored by seven points. It seems that there's going to be good weather in San Francisco. And despite Aaron Glenn having head coaching interviews, I, I think that that defense is going to struggle despite what we just talked about, about our concerned with Kyle, Han- Kyle Shanahan's trust in Purdy. But 
I think that the Lions got 15 hurries in their own game, and I think that the Niners' O-line isn't as good in pass protection as their overall roster would have you believe. They actually ranked in the bottom half in the league in percentage of downs where pressure was allowed. So if this comes down to a shootout in good weather, I think it's, do you trust the Lions or you trust the Niners? And I think we all trust the Niners, but Debo is going to be out. Mm. I mean, don't speak too soon. I have an upset. He might be, but... I have an upset. <laughs> so we don't all trust the Niners. I, I am Detroit on this game. Okay. Why? I kind of just don't want to see uh, the Super Bowl colors scandal theory, whatever you want to call it, come true. And, you know, I like Detroit. Uh, <clears throat> the Ravens blew up both teams, so it doesn't really matter to me. But I'd rather they, see I'd rather see They Detroit. destroyed the Lions. I'd rather see Detroit in the Super Bowl uh, just because of their fan base and, and the team they've got going. But I think that the 49ers are pretty exploitable. I think that the Detroit run game is a little bit too much to handle for their front seven. In my opinion, I, I really don't think that the D-line is as good as people give credit to them for. I think the D-line is the strength but I think that Fred Warner might need to have like a legacy game yeah, to really shut down this Detroit offense because I think it's good enough. I mean, that was kind of just leading me to the point that I think we have to have a conversation about Chase Young. And he hasn't done shit. Who was good in that Washington pass rush? And I, that was Montez Sweat, your boy. I think, I mean... Yes, Sweat has been was good after leaving Washington and was good while in Washington. I think that that's a fair point that Young benefited more from Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne and Sweat than I think we realized. And he has not exactly been a dominant force on the edge for this Niners team. Now, again, I still think that this is a strength of theirs. I think Fred Warner has an has a case for best defensive player in the league. And so I'm not out here trying to say that Detroit's going to be dropping an easy 35 on them. But mm -hmm. I think given the circumstances and given how good the Lions' strengths match up against the 49ers, I think that we could be looking at like 30-30 late in the fourth. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and I'm kind of on the same wavelength as well, and that's kind of what led me to pick the upset here. But my thing is, I mean, you never know the outcome of a game, obviously. I, nobody can predict everything, but I think that there's almost no way that this isn't going to be a, a close game down the stretch. So I, I think, think the spread's too big. I think it's just going to come down to whatever team can will themselves forward and you know, has that that second factor, that sixth sense, that whatever it is that'll elevate them. And I think that Detroit's got it with Big Balls, Dan Campbell. I think that they're going to will through. They, their fan base is so strong. I mean, they might... I wouldn't even be that surprised if they outnumbered them in San Fran. That's not going to happen. I know it's not, but it's crazy. They're like, not the Chargers. It's the 49ers, but I get your point. Yeah, yeah it's not exactly the Chargers. The... The 49ers definitely have a strong-ass fan base, too, but yeah, no. Detroit, I really like them. I'll make a, 
I'll make official picks with um with Raven back on Friday, but I will say right now, my early leaning, I just jotted down a score, San Fran 35, Detroit 30. I think if Debo is ruled out, and I don't know. I don't know maybe there's like Lions super fans going in droves, and then it is like 50-50, and I change my mind. I think that it might be a bad case of we look at this game too hard, and then we get to game day, and it's like, oh, San Francisco's way better. Mm. But my early leaning is... San Francisco, but only by a hair. Okay. Yeah. I mean, other off the side top of the dome, I'm going to go San Francisco 28, Detroit 33. There you go. Kansas City at Baltimore. The spread is three and a half in Baltimore's favor. Look, I think that this line is way too close with how good Baltimore looked both ways, frankly. And I know that Mahomes is Mahomes. And reasonably i actually agree with you can't put him as like a massive underdog or even more than like five points in a playoff game where half of his offensive line isn't hurt but if baltimore can bring pressure like they have against literally everyone then it might look like the tampa bay super bowl yeah man i mean i can't i don't want to sit here on the podcast and down talk mahomes because that's just a one-way ticket to lose but I mean all I'm gonna say he played his path here was the absolutely beat to oblivion Bills defense which had Kair Elam and AJ Klein Kair Elam isn't bad AJ Klein is <laughs> and just a bunch of people I've never heard of playing defense and I was just looking around the field looking for a name that I, I even recognized. And then... Vaughn Miller. Oh, man. <laughs> We're not even going to talk about how much he got compensated for his three tackles this year. Hey, or he might have been four. Might he, have been earned four. <laughs> he earned every penny. But, yeah, no. Chiefs, I'm blanking. I'm drawing a blank on who they beat in the first... Oh, is the the Dolphins. And... I mean, I don't like their defense. You saw what the Ravens did to them, but... <laughs> I mean, and they lacked both of their top pass rushers. The Bills' defense was beat up, although I... Like, the Chiefs' defense did in the fourth quarter. I thought both locked in when it mattered, and Bills' defense played well down the stretch, and I have not forgotten that. But I will be wildly impressed if this the is Chiefs the, can, can move the ball consistently on the Ravens. The Chiefs scored 27 points against the Bills, I would be shocked if they scored that against the Ravens. And frankly, I think they might have to if they want to win. I mean, one of the main focal points for our fan base is how confident we are in putting Hamilton on Kelsey for the whole game. I think that Kyle Hamilton, especially in this diminished version of Kelsey, it it's kind of the perfect matchup. Yes. And that, like, again, that plays into it too, that like you also have Humphrey coming back to put on someone like Rice and so it's just like they have speed, but like if you get beat by Marquez Valdez Scantling and McCall Hardman, then you kind of just have to throw your hands up and be like, Mahomes is God. What am I supposed to do? Yeah, I, I think that Miko Hardman shouldn't even see the field personally, <laughs> I, given the fact that I don't he, think he will. He really left it all on the field this week and with his uh one catch for three yards, two carries, and then and fumble two fumbles. through the end. <laughs> Two fumbles, one through the end zone. Just an amazing stat line. He really left it all out there. 
but he put his heart into that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that if Kelsey gets clamped, we're gonna see what they've struggled with this this regular season. So I think that I mean fans are begging that they throw our best defensive player, arguably, or either him or Roquan, obviously, but begging that Hamilton shades Kelsey the whole game because if he's shut down, they're gonna have to rely on the unreliable like and even, even Kelsey isn't hasn't been as reliable as we'd like yeah so I mean if you take him out of the game they're still figuring out what they need to do and they might need another year to figure that out like what they're gonna do without which is fair Kelsey being reliable so I I love our chances if they lock down Kelsey again it's just it might be a case of I'm staring at it too long and I'm not properly weighing the Mahomes factor of it but Everything tells me that the Ravens' run game is going to be successful on this defense. And as good as I think LeJarius Need and Trent McDuffie have been this year, I do think that Lamar is going to get his. Now, yeah. it just comes down to... Well, and the other thing, too, is a, a lot of the, um, the smoke and mirrors of when the Chiefs' defense is able to shut people down is because of how well Spagnola is able to disguise blitzes and all of that. And again, credit to that defense. Yeah. But if you were going to blitz the shit out of Lamar, good luck. I think that it's crazy that Steve Spagnola has not been a head coach yet, personally. Because if you really look at the resources that he's put into that defense or the, the front offense has, and for them to be this successful is absolutely wild, in my um, opinion. He was a head coach, but... Wait, when was he a head coach? He was the coach of the Rams in, like, 2009. Oh, wow. Well, I think he should get another job opportunity. Him and Raheem Morris are guys that have been plugging away long enough that I think they will, in the next couple years, get an opportunity. Oh, yeah. But I'm—we're in the same boat. I tepidly—again, it might be disrespectful. I put Baltimore 33, KC 20. I'd say— I'll go. Also, because I, I fucking, pardon, I hate the pregame show of it's Dan Orlovsky and goddamn uh, Jason Garrett or whoever it is. Just, it's the same, like, variation of scores every time. It's 28-27 or it's uh, <laughs> 35 to 32 or it's 20 to 17. It's never interesting. It's never a scoregami. No, well, it's never a scoregami, but it's also never, like, you know, I'll be realistic here. I think this team is good enough that they'll just score a touchdown in the end and it'll be 34-20. And it's like, okay, that's interesting at least. Or who mm-hmm. is the dude that filled – oh, my God, I forget. I feel bad because I forget. But he was filling in for someone on the panel, and the last two rounds he's picked like 52 to 10. And I – you know, it's a shit heel thing to do, but at least it's different. I just wish it was sincere. It's not Adam Rank, is it? I, it might be. He's the one who who's been picking like he's he's always the upset guy. And yeah, he'll he'll end up winning a bunch of them wildly. But well, it's like the the whole fade the public thing where it's like if you just bet against what everyone else is, then you end up making money and you go viral whenever it ends up right being miracle true by a miracle. But yeah, no, I'd say uh, Casey seventeen, Baltimore twenty six, something like that, mm-hmm. because. I have a lot of faith in the defense, so I think KC is going to be right around that 17-20 point range at the end of the game. 
And then quick and before... If, we, if they beat the Ravens, it's going to have to be holding them below that. Fair enough. And then quick before we go, a couple things. I, I did see and thought about bringing up the fact that Belichick... Uh, Supposedly has the Falcons job if he wants it, but it's also Arthur Blank, Blank wants him, but the minority owners don't. And that seems to, as reports from the Athletic this morning suggested, that that's losing steam for that exact reason, and it's not a done deal. So more on that when more develops. I think the Falcons could benefit from a number of people, not just Belichick. I think it's a good fit, though. Um, Harbaugh to the Chargers, we did talk about for a minute, but I'm in. i what do you think? Harbaugh to the Chargers. I mean, I I don't as like a guy Jim to Harbaugh, as but. I know as a guy to give the keys though. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense for the organization. I mean, it's L.A. He's got a personality. He's a good coach. Like, I'm not taking that away from him. He and is there's a good still coach. other openings, not the Titans one, which we'll talk about here. But I think that Harbaugh is a guy that has his pick of the litter. And if they don't get Belichick, I I like Harbaugh as the Falcons guy as well, because yeah. he is someone that bring him to a young team um, and someone who is able to pick his own QB or at least have a choice in it. Whereas with the Chargers, it's Herbert, and I do not think they are necessarily a mesh of personalities. But mm, that might, yeah, that's true. That might not matter because it's Jim Harbaugh and Justin Herbert might be willing to acquiesce because he doesn't seem like the non-acquiescent type. I mean, I don't know how the front office is going to perceive it, but me personally, I would take him in a heartbeat because Brandon Staley is a pile of dicks. Anyone <laughs> and anything is better than him. Anyone is better. So yeah. Chargers, it's anyone, and Harbaugh has been the strongest rumor. I would be in. Last one, the most important, in my opinion, just because it's actually happened, uh, Brian Callahan, son of, I believe... Joe Callahan, former uh, NFL line coach, takes the job with the Titans. He was the Bengals' offensive coordinator um, from 2019 to 2023. He went there with Zach Taylor. What do you think? I mean, honestly, I love seeing big news. So I wasn't really complaining about seeing that. But that being said, I hate to be boring, but... Why don't you wait to see the other candidates come out and see how that stuff pans out? Because you still got Bill Belichick on the mark. You still got Jim Harbaugh. You still got uh, Mike Mc- Mike McDonald. There's no guarantee. In fairness, there's no guarantee. If I'm Belichick or Harbaugh, why the hell do you want to coach the Titans? Yeah, I mean that's true. But I mean Mike McDonald, he's a horrible DC. Uh, nobody go for him. Wink, wink. Uh, you know I just don't think he's a head coach. Wink, wink. Uh, <laughs> anyways, I, I don't know. I would have waited for some more people to enter the market, but you know, I'm, if you got your guy and you got him right where you want him, I mean, hire him, but I don't know. I mean, again, for the two big names, there's no, there's no guarantee that he actually, that any of them actually want to coach for the Titans, especially as they are likely at least entering a retooling period. And so that considered, eh, I don't know. Maybe he interviewed well. I think that especially this year, I think that the Bengals proved some stuff adjusting to the Jake Browning of it all and still being able to put up some decent offensive stats. Does that mean that Jake Browning is 
a starter in the league, or does that mean that Brian Callahan is better than we thought? It's probably both. But I think that they adjusted, and I don't know that I would necessarily want to install Brian Callahan's offensive scheme from the Bengals with the Titans, but maybe that's not the point to what you said. He interviews well. He hires a good staff. His father and himself have connections in the league. Maybe it ends up being great. I'm not going to assume. I just find it somewhat interesting, but ultimately not all that surprising because I don't think that the top head coaching candidates, or at least the ones that you would expect necessarily, the the Ben Johnsons, the, I mean, Belichick Harbaugh, obviously, but even, um, I know guys like Bobby Slowick or Mike McDonald are getting interviews, Raheem Morris, yada, yada. I think to bring in a guy who hasn't done it before, who has a chance to get a really good staff in there and to build this team either around Will Levis or whoever they pick up or build around going forward, I think it ended up being smart because you're aligning someone who is doing this for the first time with a rebuilding franchise. And if it coalesces, then there you go. I mean, I would have my questions after. Hilarious that there's a Zach Taylor coaching tree, though. (laughs) I would have my questions following that call that he made against the Jaguars when he had Tyler Boyd throw that screen pass. They won the game. Right to Josh Allen. That wasn't great. (laughs) Just jokes, guys. Just jokes. Sorry, Brian Callahan. You just want Devin Duvernay to throw all your passes. (laughs) That was James Prochet. My uh, bad. The the legacy of Greg Roman vault plays. Thank God not Bears offensive coordinator Greg Roman. (laughs) That would have been a We'll get into it in just off-season stuff, but I, I do like Shane Waldron. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please check out, rate, subscribe, listen to other podcasts on the Alethio Network. Brandon, thank you for joining me. Do you have anything to say before we go? Not that I already have. Go Ravens. Praying. Praying we knock off the Swifties. Uh, You guys should be rooting for us, too. Oh, last prediction that we were talking about earlier. If the Chiefs uh, win this game or the Super Bowl, if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, uh, Swift is getting a Super Bowl ring. Yep. They produce 150, which we were in line to today. Uh, maybe not of all the same quality, but... And they're allowed to produce more to give out to special people in certain circumstances. So yeah, looking for who that is. Looking forward to that soon. But thank you, everyone, for listening. See you all on Friday with a lot of basketball, some final predictions for the championship games, and a whole lot more. So thank you very much, and have a great week.